Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Petropolis, here with the only two twins. Actually, we're just going to concentrate on Michael today. He said that um, when the movie about Elton John comes out... Rocket Man. It's called Rocket Man. It's called Rocket Man. People are going to claim to be Rocket Stans. It's absolutely going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. piss me off because I hate the Stan movement that's started. Well, you know what? Just say you're a fan of something, man. I stand for this so hard. Who, whose voice do you imitate when you do that? Everyone who says the word Stan. You just, just have the same voice imitation for every single person. He, that's how he imitates my mom's voice, too. Nah, give, me, yo, give me someone to imitate. Yo, Michael. <laughs> that's not how she talks at all. Give me an give example. Me Christopher then. Walken. I'm a rocket stand. See? <laughs> you sounded like the dude from... Uh, Coach Steve? Coach Steve, yeah. <laughs> Dudes. Say, dude, do it real quick. These guys are really hey, good. dudes. Co- there you go. Go ahead. These guys are really good. Ready to podcast, my dudes. When we were, when it was Easter, we would walk around the house going, Easter schmeister, my dudes. Anyway, with that being said, we have Thor Nystrom on the program today. If, if there's a stand of anyone that I am, uh, when it comes to covering college football, it is Thor Nystrom. He is... An award-winning writer, and if you don't already follow him on Twitter, we recommend it highly. He is on our uh, Real Recognized Real podcast, I'm sorry, segment of the podcast. But today, before we get into that, we have everyone's favorite segment. We don't know if it's everyone's favorite. I know it's Timmy's favorite. (laughs) I like it. It's good twin, bad twin. Today, we're going to be going over the rookie class, and Michael and Jason are going to present why this person might be good or why this person might be bad, but with a twist today. We're doing comparisons. That's right. Who will he be if he's great? Who will he be if he sucks? There's only one way to tell, and uh, just just a reminder, this is not their views on the player, Um, but they're putting it together anyway because in order to be a master... You need a counterclaim. You need to look at it from both sides. You can't be biased. Correct. Uh, we're going to start looking for it from both sides. The Brother Fans Football Podcast begins right. Hold on, Tim. Hold the phone. Hold the baloney. We got something that hold we got to tell baloney. the people out today. You got to hold the baloney, and that is Bob Lung's consistency report. It won the 2018 FSWA Best Fantasy Football Publication. We told you about it last week. We're telling you about it again this week because it's very useful. Uh, it's a consistency guide that tells you about how consistent players were last season. Uh, it's another tool to add to your toolbox when heading into the fantasy football season this year. If you go to bigguyfantasysports.com or you can go to brotoff.com, and the link is on the top. Uh, you can just go to it and click on it. Use promo code BRODO and you can get 20% off the consistency guide. So go to BRODOFANTASY.com. Click on the top, 20% off with code BRODO. See how we did that? We sent you to our website. Psh, getting good at this. Uh, another thing that we're already good at, though, is fantasy football. And today we're going to be talking even more good twin, bad twin about these rookies. Um, and then we got Thor Nystrom on. Don't forget to stick around for that. He gives us the most detailed descriptions of some of these rookies. Like, we know where who, like what their mother's professions were now. Mind is blown listening yeah, to that. Yeah, really guy. mind-blowing it's stuff. Great. So if you're a real big... He has so much college football information in his brain. It's, it's crazy. Like, how does he fit anything else? Yeah. If you are a fan of fantasy and you kind of nerd out over the numbers a little bit make sure you stay tuned for that but because we uh we took a little while on that one uh let's try and get into this right away what do you guys say yeah 
All right, let's do it. Straight shoot. Um, again, I'm with my brothers, Michael and Jason. I forgot to mention Jason in the opening because I was so mad at Michael for saying Stan. Rocket but, Stan. <laughs> but let's start with the guy that everyone wants to talk about. We'll start with the quarterbacks. Kyler Murray. Michael, you are the good twin for Kyler Murray. Tell us who he can be if everything works out. Uh, Kyler Murray's rookie season, I think his best ceiling will be uh, Russell Wilson rookie season. Uh, 3,100 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions rushed through uh, with 489 yards on the ground and four rushing touchdowns. God, Russell was nice from the very beginning. Yeah. Man. Kyler Murray has a similar skill set. He Yes, it's a completely different offense, and it's a completely different uh, team that's around him. The Seahawks were a better team when uh, Russell Wilson went there. But I think Russell Wilson ended as QB 11 that year. I think Kyler Murray has a chance to be that in his optimal rookie season jay what do you think we i think the kyler murray to russell wilson comparison has been made right so michael although um good job describing that not original man there's more fun ones coming up not original it's not very original bro. i no honestly you. believe that's his ceiling like qb 11 look everyone knows that you're the least favorite patrops one all right so you need to get out of here okay that's so not true. I'll take it over now. <laughs> Woo! All right. Um. So I'm gonna start by saying this is not a player comparison. This is a rookie year fantasy stat comparison. So what I did was I looked at other players' rookie years or their second seasons for rookie uh, players that didn't play much in their rookie year, and compared to that. So I think that Kyler Murray, I'm playing bad twin here, bad comp, is Josh Allen with less rushing touchdown upside. Uh, Josh Allen's very big-handed with eight rushing touchdowns, pretty much the savior of his fantasy value once he started running more at the end of the season. If you look at someone similar like Russell Wilson, he ran for six touchdowns once in his career, ran for one or zero four times. So when it comes to size in the red zone, you're less likely to get into the red zone. If you're a quarterback, if you're a smaller quarterback. So he's in a new offense. He has a rookie coach, rookie wide receiver. It's a poor O-line. So if he struggles to pass, doesn't have a very clean pocket, and he's going to have to run for his life, and he doesn't have the touching rush, the rushing touchdown upside. He's going to be Josh Allen without the touchdowns, which is not good. Interesting. Interesting. It's a little bit of a hot take. It, you don't hear people compared that much uh, to people who don't look like them. And Josh Allen's like the exact opposite of what Kyler Murray is. I bet you if they stood next to each other, it would look like like a, a, a capital like I next to a lowercase I. Well, to clarify, this is a comparison of their fantasy potential, their rookie years. Yeah, best. Scenario and worst scenario. All right. Um, let's talk about the other quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Jason, you're actually the good guy on Dwayne Haskins, so let's start with you, Michael. Just, just, just stay right there for a second. I know you're chomping at the bit. You got it. Um, Jason, what's good? I went into the vault a little bit here. Uh, again, I looked at rookie seasons or second-year seasons, so I'm comparing Haskins, um, his good side for fantasy this year. I don't see too much upside. I'm going to go rookie year Andy Dalton. Um, both are quarterbacks without much like obvious athleticism, but they're accurate. They're able to move around the pocket a bit. They're good if they have a clean pocket. And in his rookie year, Dalton had 3,400 yards, 20 touchdowns, and 13 in- interceptions. So I think that the touchdown upside is limited for Haskins in a not very good offense. But he was good at limiting turnovers in, um, in Ohio State. So I do think that the 13 interception number is decent because he's a rookie. He's going to make some mistakes. But he, if he has a clean pocket, he's not really going to be turning the ball over too much. So I'm going rookie year Andy Dalton as a as his good comparison. for. Fans. I like that. I like that. I like that too. Uh, Michael, what do you got? Uh, my comparison for bad Dwayne Haskins would be 2018 Josh Rosen. Uh, Haskins, by 
many people's standards is expected to be the most NFL ready QB, just as Josh Rosen was viewed to be the most NFL ready QB Facts. by most uh, analysts last season. And then he was thrown into a dumpster fire team similar to Dwayne Haskins. If you ask me, the Redskins are one of the worst teams in the league. Facty facts. He might just be thrown into the fire, has a lot of uh, pressure on his shoulders. And if all goes bad for Dwayne Haskins, I could see him having a Josh Rosen esque season. Facts. Facts. Next on the list, we're going to go to the tight ends. Let's add a little caveat here, since you're playing judge, right? You got to say who had the better argument. I I don't I like it's both tough though, because this is optimal or yeah, absolutely yeah. not optimal. So I, yeah, I could definitely see him having a, you know, Josh Rosen type year, but I could also see him having an Andy Dalton type year. It's it you know it's I can't really pick a side right now. So we're gonna stick with that. <laughs> uh, T.J. Hawkinson is our next guy on the board, a guy that Michael and Jason both are fading hard. Um, I'm kind of on on board as well, although I, the the regime in Detroit is different. So I'm not gonna say right away that the Lions always fuck up tight ends, but there is one fact that has been always true in fantasy football, and the Twins have been preaching it um, since the very beginning: rookie tight ends don't matter. So uh, Michael, tell us who T.J. Hawkinson could be if he matters. Best case scenario here is that Darren Bevel, who is the Seahawks offensive coordinator for three years prior to going and becoming the Lions offensive coordinator this season. He had Jimmy Graham all three seasons. And during that time, Jimmy's Graham, Jimmy Graham's average output was 57 receptions, 683 yards, and six touchdowns. Back when he was a fantasy like, viable stud tight end. in terms of tight ends. TJ Hawkinson is supposed to be one of the best tight ends coming out of college in a long time. If he's able to equal Jimmy Graham's output and put up over 600 yards and six touchdowns, that's very similar to what Kyle Rudolph did last year, finishing as tight end eight and a half PPR. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Who does he become if you think he will become the person that you think he will become? <laughs> My mind is blown, man. <laughs> um, so the bad comp, this is, all right, this is weird because it's not a bad comp. It's just for rookie season purposes is George Kittle. Because um, you can't argue that George Kittle wasn't very fantasy relevant his rookie season. He didn't come on really until the end of the year. Uh, when I was able to start him and get some good work out of him. But before that, he wasn't really relevant because it takes a long time for tight ends to get used to the NFL. Kittle ended that season with 43 catches, 515 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Good season for him. He obviously exploded the next year, and I think Hawkinson has that potential. Obviously very athletic, and they both went to the same school and all that good stuff. Detroit actually has some weapons around him, so I think that it's going to be limited limited put out here. So I think... uh, Limited the output. Output, yeah. So George Kittle's rookie season is something 50 catches, 600 yards, three touchdowns, I think is a reasonable projection for Hawkinson. So Similar that's what I want right there. Good. <laughs> yeah, obviously we don't really like tight rookie tight ends for fantasy. Also, there's no denying that he's also a big white athletic guy, which is also George Kittle. So there's that, if that True. makes you feel any better. Um, let's go to Noah Fitt, his teammate. This time, Michael is the, uh, no, I'm sorry, Jason is the lover lover. Jason. He's uh, the lover lover. What's good with Noah Fant? What happens? I, I think he has a chance to come, but only if Drew Locke. I think if Drew Locke comes in the game, Noah Fant may be viable. I infatuation with Drew Locke. Man. I love him. I'm not going to lie. I love him. But Jason, go ahead. Uh, first of all, Locke's not going to start. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this guy's pissing me off. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting he's going to start to start, but I'm suggesting he might come in week five. Started, started, started. No, no. All right, so obviously I had to be a good guy for this one, a good comp. And so I chose the 
only tight end who's been decent in his rookie season in a long time, and that was Evan Ingram. And that's because all the dominoes fell in the right place for him. Uh, there were injuries around him. His quarterback couldn't make throws outside the number. So Ingram ended up with 115 targets, 64 catches, 722 yards, and seven touchdowns. I think that's the good comp for uh, Fant this season. He's not surrounded by that much talent. He has a quarterback who's past his prime and hasn't been good at pat, uh, passing with deep balls for two seasons now. Very similar to uh, Ingram when he joined the Giants offense. So... He could be forced into action as a rare weapon in the middle of the field for Joe Flacco. And if that happens and he becomes their like de facto best weapon uh, coming onto the scene a little quickly like Ingram did, I think that's a decent comp for him. Interesting. My, uh, my bad comp here. Joe Flacco's the quarterback. As we all know, Joe Flacco likes to throw to his tight ends, but Joe Flacco is also has become a much worse quarterback over the past few years. My comp is uh, Dennis Pitta. When he was uh, Joe Flacco's, one of his favorite toys early on in his career. Dennis Pitta's first full season, although it was a solid first full season, he only put up 40 receptions, 400 yards, and three touchdowns. I would not be surprised to see Noah Fant have a very similar rookie season, which would make him more of a low-end tight end, too. Yeah, and, you know, the occasional streamer play. Yeah. Um, let's move over to the to the running backs the position that everyone wants to know about let's go with the first guy josh jacobs uh i don't know if you guys got a chance to hear john gruden's call to josh jacobs when he got um called up but josh gruden uh, john gruden said to josh jacobs we need a workhorse back here are you ready to take on that responsibility this is going to be the opportunity of a lifetime and josh jacobs said yes so obviously i mean obviously he said yes but I mean, what that tells me is that he's looking for a workhorse back. He might get it. Josh Jacobs, if he is the workhorse back, Michael, and he does succeed, who's he going to be then? Who's going to be like? John Gruden used to be the head coach of a team called the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And who do the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft and start right away? Good old Cadillac, Cadillac Williams. Cadillac Williams. I was going to say that. Cadillac Williams, his rookie season, put up what 290 rushes. So he got the ball a lot. 1,178 yards and six touchdowns. Was not super involved in the passing game. I do expect Josh Jacobs to be involved in the passing game because he's a very good pass catcher. So I combined Cadillac Williams and Michael Pittman, the backup running back, third down running back for uh, the Bucks. I combined both of their receiving numbers, which came out to 56 receptions, 381 yards, and one touchdown, which totals over 1,550 yards, seven TDs, and more than 50 catches. Would have ended right around RB10 last season in half PPR. Jason, if he cannot be the workhorse back and he is the the halftime guy that he was in Alabama, what does his season look like this year? Well, what about the alternative, Tim? What about if he is the workhorse back, but he's just not that effective doing it because he's not used to getting that Trent many Richardson? touches? Yikes. Trent Richardson was great his rookie season. No, he wasn't. He averaged like three and a half yards per carry. I mean, he was good for, for, fantasy. for fantasy. He had a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, yeah. fantasy, come on, bro. We're talking fantasy here. I mean, I drafted him that year. <laughs> and you know who Josh Jacobs is? His bad comp? Rookie season, Melvin Gordon. Melgo had the Zero volume. TDs. Got 184 attempts, um, 33 receptions, ended up with totaling around 830 yards with no touchdowns. And I think that Jacobs, I don't think the Raiders are a good team. They added some players. Same. Fine. Uh, they still have a bad quarterback. So... I think that uh, if the load is on him and he's not ready to take it on, or if he's running into uh, loaded boxes and he sees a lot of work and he's not used to getting hit every play and trying to, uh, you know, get those extra yards, he could be very similar to Melvin Gordon. 
So, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, if you don't know much about Josh Jacobs, get ready because you're about to know a lot about Marcus Jacobs when well, I just said Mark Jacobs. You're about to know a lot about Josh Jacobs when Thor Nystrom takes the mic and explains to you exactly what his entire um, history is for his entire life. Um, dude, I'm telling you, stick around. More detail than you'll ever get anywhere else ever. It's kind of crazy. Um, another guy you're going to learn about, David Montgomery, someone that we are all high on here in real life. Um, Michael, you are the good twin for David Montgomery. He looks right, right right now like he has a pretty good chance to be the workhorse down, uh, workhorse back, excuse me, for the Bears. Well, not workhorse to the point of sharing a little with Tyree Kill for in the passing game. But he looks like he has that. Shot to be the starting running back. What do you? How do you feel about uh, my man Montgomery? Tyreek Cohen, too. You said Tyreek Hill. I said Tyreek Hill. Oh, right, rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, because his fantasy season is dead. My uh, optimal David Montgomery comparison here is 2014 Lamar Miller. In 2014, Lamar Miller got 216 carries, 1,099 yards, and eight rushing touchdowns. Also added 275 That's yards. And a touchdown through the air. 1,375 yards and nine touchdowns. You think David Montgomery's going to have a better season than that, his rookie season? Pretty damn optimal. In Chicago with Terry That's pretty Cohen. damn optimal. Like, he's not going to – I don't see him getting Fine. more than 275 receiving yards, really. Terry Cohen's going to be the passing back. They did sign Mike Davis, who will mix in, I think, every now and then. 1,375 yards, nine touchdowns, about RB12-ish last season. Very similar to Philip Lindsay numbers. I'll go bad now. Um, bad comp for Montgomery. He could be this year's Rashad Penny. If you look at Rashad Penny, who is he stuck behind? Mike Davis. <laughs> so you got that comparison there. Also, Chris Carson. Uh, Penny had the draft capital more than Montgomery. So, um, And then there was a passing back there. You know, Seattle, there was all the talk about Procise and McKissick. And then Chicago still has three Cohen there. The key here is that we assumed Penny would be the starter. He obviously wasn't. Ended with 419 yards and two touchdowns. So that could be the downside of Montgomery. There's a bruiser in Buffalo. That I want to talk to you guys about. And Jason, you are the good twin for Mr. Devin Singletary. Why do you think Devin Singletary has a chance to be fantasy relevant this year? Or who could he be, should I ask? He can be, ready for this, because it's a bad comp, but he was good his rookie season. Chargerson? Rookie year, Jeremy Langford. Interesting. Jeremy Langford was behind an established back who was past his prime, Matt Forte, as is Singletary, behind McCoy, who's past his prime. Uh, Langford ended up playing pretty well, earning a little more playing time throughout. It wasn't a very good offense, just like in Buffalo. Langford ended with 816 yards and seven touchdowns. I think that's the good comparison for Singletary in a crowded backfield. Interesting. The twins uh, texted me in the group chat and they said, "Yo, this is mad fun doing this research." I think that like the way that Jason just answered like Jeremy Langford and like started giving Jeremy Langford's rookie stats, Langford, like you know that this kid loves fantasy football. Was more of a pass catcher <laughs> than Devin Singletary though. But total yardage might end up being similar. And then you got Michael. That is why I combined the yardage. So suck it. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Michael, why My is it, bad yeah. season yeah. is uh, rookie season Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde was a second-round pick in 2014. Came in behind Frank Gore. Ironically so, Singletary is now behind Frank Gore. Obviously not the same Frank Gore. But he is joining a crowded backfield with Yeldon. As of now, Shady's still there and Gore. If Shady does stay there, which I could see the Bills screwing up, just keeping all those running backs there, Yeldon will likely get passing work. Singletary is, does not have a role in the passing game. He didn't really factor in receiving-wise even in uh, in college. So I could see Devin Singletary ending up with a Carlos Hyde-esque 
rookie season, which was 83 rushes, 333 yards, four touchdowns, and 68 receiving yards and no touchdowns. Not ideal, to say the least. One guy that is going to need some room to be made for him to get in his backfield is Miles Sanders of the Eagles. A lot of people are high on Miles Sanders this year, um, which would be is great if he gets the playing time, but he's in a backfield with four or five other backs in Philly. Jason, if he does break through and get that uh, that workhorse or at least main feature back role, um, what is his good season comparison? Nick Chubb. Uh, very similar if you look at last season to this season. Nick Chubb was stuck behind the guy, Carlos Hyde, who people think is better than he is and has no receiving potential. And Jordan Howard last season looked like he was a player that people thought he was better than he was and didn't really have much receiving potential. So as long as Sanders is able to get past him and then take control of the backfield, he's very dynamic. Chubb ended with over five yards per carry, 996 yards, eight touchdowns. I think that's reasonable for Sanders if he's able to take lead of that backfield, uh, get over the rest of the guys back there too. Because, you know, Nick Chubb also had to deal with Duke Johnson, stuff of that sort. Sanders has Smallwood, Clement. I think a thousand yards, eight touchdowns is best case scenario if he's able to get past Jay Howe. No disrespect to Corey Clement, but I think that if Corey Clement never took another handoff in Philadelphia, they'd be happy out there in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, just because you know he's a he seems like a great guy, but he's just you know he's he he's a try hard kind of guy. Like he 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 does it what he does he's a with grinder. Effort. Yeah, he's an effort type of dude, and you need you you need a superstar uh, in the backfield if you're Philly. That's why you drafted one in the third round. Um, Second. Sec- oh, excuse me. Second. I traded up to get him in the second round, in fact. Uh, how could I forget that? Uh, Michael, who's his bad comparison? So I do think Miles Sanders automatically gets a big role in that offense since they use the second round draft capital on him. So my bad comparison isn't terrible, but it's 2017 Eagles LeGarrette Blunt. So Blunt would get 10 hmm. to 15 carries a game, wasn't super involved in the passing game. They have Jordan Howard there right now. They got Josh Adams, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood, all these people. So I don't know if Miles Sanders Donnell is going to be on third downs either. So if <laughs> They end up putting Miles Sanders in more of a 40 to 50% of the snaps, 10 to 15 carries a game. I can see him ending with a Legere Blunt-esque line, which was 900 yards and four touchdowns, which r- last year was roughly running back 33, which is same to how Kerryon Johnson ended up. Daryl Henderson is to, is going to round out the running backs here. Um, Michael, oh no, Jason again, good twin. Jason's on the, on the bright side of these running backs, huh? Jason, you're the good twin on this one. Daryl Henderson's season, what could it be if it What could works it out? be? I've made this comp before. I'm looking past rookie season this time. This is the first time I'm looking at second season. I'm going Austin Eckler's second season. I've made the Melgo Eckler comp before for Gurley Henderson. Eckler ended the season with 958 yards and six touchdowns, and I think that that could be Henderson's stats here. Um, even if he's a backup, I think we could see him get some work. And he obviously has through-the-roof potential if uh, Todd Gurley goes down with an injury. So I'm kind of factoring that in here, assuming Henderson starts three games, let's say. Uh, he's He was one of the most explosive backs in college, so he's a very good change of pace. I think that 958 yards and six touchdowns is doable. I think that's a good output for Henderson his rookie year. I like that. The bad side, though, is uh, 2018 Chase Edmonds. Uh, Daryl Henderson came in just much like Chase Edmonds behind an absolute stud running back and did not see the field often. The only way he's going to – Henderson, I expect to see the field often is if there's an injury to Gurley. But if Gurley stays healthy the whole season, then he might have a Chase Edmonds-esque season. Chase Edmonds only had 60 rushes last season, 208 yards, two touchdowns, and 103 pass receiving yards. So – 
I could see him becoming Chase Edmonds. All right, so that's the running back so far. Let's get to the wide receivers. A wow. guy that we really uh he's really a wild card because his talent's off the charts, but he doesn't match up physically and his quarterback uh didn't look like he hit the broad side of a barn last season. Um Hollywood Brown and the Ravens, he'll have a chance to be the number one receiver. But what is the number one receiver really worth? If he's worth a lot, Jason, who could he have a comparable season to? I think that he's going to have to do a lot with a little. So my good comparison, someone who came on late, who Michael called, rookie year Tyreek Hill. Uh, Limited for opportunities, but electric when he touched the ball and he made the most of them. He saw 83 targets by the end of the year, which I think is a reasonable amount for Hollywood Brown to see this season in a run-first offense where he should be the main target. Uh, Hill also saw 24 rushes. He ended up with almost 800 yards and nine touchdowns. So I think that's best-case scenario here for Hollywood Brown. That's why I have this as my good comp. I don't expect him to have the rushing numbers that Hill did, but we could presume that he's going to see the 83 or a little more targets. He'll be dynamic with the ball when he gets them. If he gets some single coverage on the outside, he could burn some guys. So I'd say a 100-target, 800-yard, seven-touchdown season. Uh, flex-worthy wide receiver is his good comp. Yeah, it's going to be tough with Lamar Jackson there, which is why the bad comp here. Uh, the Ravens last year ended as a number two rushing team, despite the fact that Lamar Jackson didn't even take over till halfway. The second half, it wasn't even close. The Ravens were far and away a rushing team, and Jim Harbaugh has already said that that's the way they're going to play. They're basically going back to archaic run-first football. So my worst-case scenario is that he is basically the slightly better version of 2018 Willie Sneed. Uh, Willie Sneed uh, was viable once in a while in PPR leagues. He had 62 receptions, 651 yards, and one touchdown. I like Hollywood Brown better than that. I could, if Even if he increases it to 70 receptions, 700 yards, three touchdowns, it's only like wide receiver 50 and half PPR. Yeah, so yeah, he is what he is. A really interesting name in the wide receiver slot is Nikhil Harry. Um, Michael, you're actually the good twin on this one. Michael hasn't been the good twin in a while. I'm a Let's big go with you, Harry bro. guy. Michael, by the way, we we uh, so Thor uh, got invited to a baseball game, so he had to do the interview a, a day early. That's why we're talking, we're alluding to the a little bit behind the scenes right here. And uh, Michael had a stick up his ass all day yesterday because he didn't eat. He had the hanger. So maybe that's no, why he's bad twin well, on everyone, dude. You I had the hanger, feel, bro. Don't I'm lie. I'm on the train, then you call me and say, "Yo, we're doing a, <laughs> we're doing an interview. Come to my house." And I didn't eat all day, and I didn't feel well. It was just, but I ended up getting with it. Yeah, when you ate, because you had the hanger. <laughs> Nikhil Harry, I'm a big Nikhil Harry guy. Last time the Patriots didn't have an offense with a huge tight end asset like Aaron Hernandez or Rob Gronkowski. He was all the way back in 2009. Last time they used a big outside wide. Outside wide receiver weapon was 2009 by the name of Randy Moss, who put up 1,264 yards and 13 touchdowns. After that, they didn't really have an outside factor until the back end of Brandon Lloyd's career, 911 yards and four touchdowns. And then last season, Josh Gordon was on pace to end with 982 yards and five touchdowns. So I I don't know if uh, Nikhil Harry is Randy Moss, but I do think he could put up Josh Gordon after three years off and Brandon Lloyd tail end of career numbers. So I averaged a three, and it came out to 72 receptions, 1,052 yards, and seven touchdowns. That's almost identical to Tyler Boyd last season when he ended as wide receiver 16 in half PPR. I see your bad comparison. I mean, it was the good one, but it was a bad one because mine's better. <laughs> it was not. My bad comparison, I'm uh, going to go with rookie year Cortland Sutton. Very similar spot. Nah. I'm, I keep doing this because nah. it's great work. I'm patting myself on the back. 
Demarius Thomas in the way. Am I right? <laughs> He's on the gracious. Patriots now. Goodness um, also, their number one guy is a slot guy. Uh, Julian Edelman in New England. Emmanuel Sanders over there for uh, Denver when Cortland Sutton was drafted. Of course, DT on the outside. Older guy, not really necessary anymore. And then a young crop of running backs. We had Freeman and Lindsey in Denver. We got Michelle and all those other guys in New England. So there's a, there's some opportunity, but not as much as people may think. And Sutton ended with 42 catches, 704 yards, and four touchdowns. Uh, he actually ended up... He did more harm than good for uh, fantasy players last year because he would burn them when he was getting started and not really producing as much as people would think. So I think that 704 yards, four touchdowns is a decent bad comp for Harry this year for people expecting more. I can see that. I could also see my comp. <laughs> what about all the way over in West Philadelphia? J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Um, Jason, you're back to good twin so uh, congratulations on that who do you see Jar- jj arcega whiteside or j jaw is that a thing yeah, guys man. tweet us do people call him does people call him j jaw j j a w i know i'm saying jj arcega whiteside every time you say j jaw i don't know i haven't heard j jaw ever the twins are like yo let's do j jaw i'm like who the fuck is j jaw i talking about jennifer lawrence right now what the fuck oh my goodness Can't fuck is a jennifer lawrence jay they law. call her j law yeah. wow tim's off the pod very good. Uh, my good comp, rookie season, Stefan Diggs. Stefan, uh, yeah. Apparently a little bit, a little, uh, teams didn't love him as much as uh, really you would think. Like, Arcega was, Whiteside was a very good wide receiver in college. Diggs was very uh, polished as well. Both teams also seemingly had weapons, right? The Vikings had Mike Wallace, Kyle Rudolph, Jarris Wright, Cordero Patterson. The Eagles have Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard. Both have ascending young quarterbacks, Carson Wentz and Teddy Bridgewater. Diggs came onto the scene, ended up with 52 catches, 720 yards, and four touchdowns in only nine starts. Uh, I think that if Jay Jaw, Tim, uh, gets the opportunity a little earlier, he can end up with a 75-catch, 1,000-yard, eight-touchdown season. Bad comp time. And, and plus, he could like transform into anyone he wants. My bad comp for Jay Jaw. <laughs> 2015 Nelson Jennifer Aguilar. Lawrence is the p- person in X-Men who transforms into anyone she wants. Yeah. Goodness gracious. 2015 Nelson Aguilar. He was a 20th overall pick in 2015. They did not have him in the slot yet. He played on the outside, much like Arcega Whiteside is going to. And he only put up 283 yards and one touchdown. I can see J. Joe having a similar season if Carson Wentz continues to feed Ertz, if uh, Dallas Goddard increases his uh, catching. And then Alshon Jeffrey on the outside. Djax is now over here. He should... Pr- be coming out of the slot. So I could see J-Jaw in a role where he plays like half the snaps and uh, has a very lackluster first season. The only time that you will say Paris is in Indianapolis is when you're talking about Paris Campbell. Uh, Paris Campbell of Ohio State University. gonna Looks like he's going to fit into that slot over there in um, over there in Indianapolis. Now, Usually I'm not big on drafting rookie wide receivers, but it seems as though he's going to be set up real nicely. If he becomes the go-to slot guy uh, for Andrew Luck, what on earth can we expect from him, Michael? My good comparison is back to 2008, folks. Deshaun Jackson's rookie season with Donovan McNabb. Andrew Luck is very similar to Donovan McNabb uh, quarterback-wise, and Paris Campbell is similar to Deshaun Jackson's speed and size-wise. So 
I think Paris Campbell's just gonna he's gonna live strictly in the slot, much like he did in college. Uh, he's going to live off big plays, much like DJX did his rookie season. Deshaun Jackson put up 62 receptions, 912 yards, and two touchdowns. I think it's a very similar line to what Paris Campbell puts up this year, and he's a flex type play in good weeks. I see your DJX, and I raise you a bad comp of Curtis Samuel's second season. Uh, last season, Curtis Samuel had 39 catches, 494 yards, and five touchdowns. Yes. He was a college player, very similar to Paris Campbell in that he worked around the line of scrimmage a lot. Yes. Very similar height and weight. And they came to a team with a lot of weapons. The Panthers had DJ Moore, CMC, Olsen, Funchess, and even more. And then the Colts of Hilton, Funchess, again. You see that? I'm killing it with that. Yo, you're pissing um, me off, man. Mac, Doyle, and Ebron. So I and think Naheem that, Hines. And Naheem Hines. Throw Jordan Wilkins' name out there if you want. He's not really going to do anything, though. So then if you think about that, you could end up seeing a bad season uh, for fantasy purposes of Curtis Samuel last year. Uh, well, uh, you know, he had a running back that only scored two touchdowns. I mean, didn't only score two touchdowns. Jason, that's right. Rubbing it in your face. In your face! Um, <laughs> Andy Isabella is another slot guy that got drafted early. High draft capital considering... Not just a slot guy. Not all right. Fine. Uh, how about this? Profiles as a smart as a slot guy. Um, a lot of draft capital invested in him because not only do they take him in the second round, you trade your first round pick from last year for him. So uh, Andy Isabella, Jason, you are the good twin on this one. Who is his best comp if everything works out? I think Andy Isabella's rookie season fantasy comp on the good side is Jamison Crowder's second season. Jamison Crowder has always been a very underrated receiver. He's very good at getting separation. He's good after the catch. And in his second season, he had 67 catches, 847 yards, and seven touchdowns. And going to a team with a rookie quarterback and a new offense, I think Andy Isabella could end up being that safety blanket for Kyler Murray, no matter where he is in the formation. Isabella has a a higher ceiling, I would say. But that's why I'm giving him Crowder's second season as his comp. So I think the 850-yard and seven-touchdown area is a good comp. That Crowder second season will always be one of my favorite seasons ever because that year I, I, I could not miss on anything that I did, um, including sitting at, at one point Andrew Luck for Joe Flacco, and it was the right decision. That's how, and, and then I started Martellus Bennett when he scored three touchdowns. I picked up Jamison Crowder, traded for DJ preseason. I love the 2015 season, and therefore I will always John love Jamison Crowder. Off, kid? Um, wait, Ugh! yes, now I'm done. Uh, <laughs> Michael, who's the bad comp for Andy Isabella? Andy Isabella's drafted in the second round, so the draft capital is a little more than the guy I'm talking about here. But Chris Conley for the Chiefs was drafted in the third round, was supposed to have an immediate impact uh, type of guy. Jeremy Macklin was really the only competition there. Conley profiled similarly in that they both have ridiculous speed and were one of the fastest wide receivers in their draft class. Conley's a little larger, but they uh, they both were good at getting separation using their speed and athleticism in college. Chris Conley ended up with a 17 reception, 199 yard, one touchdown line his rookie season with the Chiefs. And obviously, he has not grown to be anything spectacular. I, full disclosure, I like Andy Isabella, so I really hope this doesn't happen. <laughs> but this is my worst case scenario rookie season for Andy Isabella. Michael, I like how you sound on the mic right now. So why don't you give us the good season for A.J. Brown? A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans, huh? The Titans, <laughs> eh? <laughs> 2013 Kendall Kendall Wright is my comparison here for A.J. Brown. I believe Kendall Wright was the last 1,000-yard receiver for the Titans, uh, interestingly enough. 
Uh, but he was a reception machine. He had 94 receptions, 1,079 yards, and two touchdowns. I could see A.J. Brown becoming this uh, target magnet across the field and in short routes for Mariota or Tannehill, whichever guy is starting there, which that line was roughly wide receiver 25 and half PPR. So best-case scenario, he's a viable wide receiver three next season. Ready for this one? My favorite comp that I've made? Sure. Bad case, A.J. Brown, bad comp. His teammate, rookie season, Corey Davis. Corey Davis has a slightly better draft pedigree. Oh, you're going to drop that bomb on us. But they both end up in bad spots. <laughs> they both have Mariota. <laughs> wow. They both have Mariota um, as uh, whatever the opposite of an asset is. Um, that's what he is. Corey Davis has played 11 games in his rookie season. If you take his numbers and expand it out to 16 games, he would have had 49 catches, 545 yards, and zero touchdowns. Yuck. Um, and I don't see him doing much better than that with Mariota throwing the ball and Corey Davis on the other side. So rookie season, Corey Davis, say hello to A.J. Brown. If you are ever wondering about Hakeem Butler, you're about to find out a lot about him. Stay tuned again for our interview with Thor Nystrom on the Real Recognize Real Hotline. We got two receivers before we get to him. He's going to tell you a lot about Hakeem Butler. Hakeem Butler is uh, someone who had a very interesting story coming up. Michael. If his storybook story continues, then what is he looking at this season? Hakeem Butler, my comparison for him, is second year, first full season, Vincent Jackson. Uh, similar build, similar speed, similar ability to just go up and get the ball no matter where it's thrown. And in his first uh, full season, his second year, Vincent Jackson ended with uh, 27 receptions, 450 yards, and six touchdowns. So I don't, I don't have a huge... I don't think uh, Hakeem Butler is going to be a huge fancy factor this season. I think he's gonna, I think that's his uh, ceiling there, uh, the Vincent Jackson line. But possibly a flex play now and then, depending on the matchup. I'm going to go uh, bad comp. Corey Coleman's rookie season. Coleman obviously had higher draft capital. But, you know, they both are two guys who seemingly have all the goods to be a good wide receiver in the NFL. Um, Corey Coleman certainly had flashes, and I'm sure Butler's going to have flashes this year and make some great plays. But they're both dealing with uncertain quarterback play. Coleman had Kessler, McCown, RG3. Uh, Butler has Murray. We're not sure about Kyler Murray yet. Uh, he is a rookie, so even if he's great, there's going to be growing pains. And if you put and if you look at Coleman's rookie season, it was inefficient. He had 73 targets with 33 catches on them, 413 yards, and three touchdowns. That is such a terrible catch percentage. So I think if Butler and Butler had some drops in college, if he drops some balls, if he has a bad connection with Kyler Murray, that could be a his bad comp uh, for this fantasy season. Reasonable. The guy that everyone's talking about. If I was DK Metcalf, every time I did something good in the league, I would just tweet out. But he ran a worse shuttle cone than Tom Brady. Like, I would just tweet that every time I scored a touchdown. Let him score his first touchdown first. Because everyone hated him when that happened. And then all of a sudden, he runs, like, one route in practice, and it gets caught on camera, and now he's everyone's favorite to so win. So many people are like... Man, I had Metcalf outside my top five receivers. He's going to make me look so dumb after one practice one route. One practice route. And like, others who, to stick to who are guns, like, guys. he's always been my guy. He's going to be the rookie of the year. You watch. Man, there's so many people on Twitter that are just the same person over and over again. If you're trying to escape that, at Brodo Fantasy on Thor Twitter. Thor Nystrom talks about how there's a lot of uh, group think. There is. In, yeah, he said that there's, like, like, there's like five people that – five to six people that kind of um, – inform the direction that everyone's yeah. going. Um, 
he don't listen to those four to five people, so we don't know what the fuck he's they're talking about. We give you our opinions, and they usually work out. Not to you know go blow myself again, but that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, DK Metcalf, uh, he's in a really good situation in Seattle. You know they're gonna throw the ball. They're not deep, not necessarily throw the say, ball for you. volume. Thank you for that clarification. But that's what he does, right? So, uh, who's the good one on this one? I put my phone away. Jay, um, <laughs> DK Metcalf, who's his best comparable if he has his best possible season? I'm very, I'm very interested in this one. Rookie year, DK Metcalf, comparison, good side. I went Yoda on that one. <laughs> good comparison for Metcalf. Good comparison, you Second must year, Kenny Galladay. Um, it's tough to comp for Metcalf, but Babytron's very athletic. Um, he's, he offers great height for his quarterback. If you look at uh, Galladay in his second season, he had to deal with a premier slot guy in Golden Tate. DK Metcalf, um, Lockett's probably going to jump into the slot for Baldwin. He did 60% of the time last year. Seattle beat writers are saying that that's where he's going to be as well. Except that Galladay had some more um, competition on the outside with Marvin Jones. Metcalf doesn't really. Uh, so, and if you look at, and if you, because He's a rookie, so there's obviously going to be growing pains. But if you look at true values, BorderFantasy.com, Russell Wilson's targets are much more valuable than Matt Stafford's. So if you look at Kenny Galladay's rookie season, and then you look at his jump to his second season, where he had 70 catches, 1,000 yards, and five touchdowns, if Metcalf has a big role right away and sees a good amount of targets from Wilson, I'm going with that as my good comp. Brian Schottenheimer, folks. That's all I got to say. It's, it's, it's not going to be a great season for TK Metcalf, all right? Yes, they ha- they have Tyler Lockett already there. Besides Tyler Lockett last season, no uh, receiver ended in the top 50 receivers for Seattle. But my bad comp for DK Metcalf is Paul Richardson rookie season. The 45th overall pick, similar to Metcalf, had not as tall, but also very fast. Uh, actually, it might be the same height, so don't quote me on that. But very fast. Similar profile, obviously not as... Of as freaky as DK Metcalf, like before he is. goes full Hulk, yeah, <laughs> like the Hulk before he goes Hulk. Yeah, he's like yeah. uh, I was gonna say the Hulk's name, but I don't even know the Hulk's Bruce name. Bruce Banner. No, man, it's <laughs> yeah, that Bruce Banner's the Hulk. Yeah, Bruce Banner. All right, Hulk. Bruce Banner. I'm really bad with the <laughs> superhero. I am too. I'm 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 surprised I that came Batman. so quickly. Batman, Wait, what's the name that you were thinking of? Bruce Wayne. You Bruce Wayne. There you fucking go. For the Hulk. So, yeah, Paul Richardson. You know Superman. Superman is Cl- Clark Kent. You know uh, Wonder Woman? <laughs> yeah, no, no idea. Either. I don't know Wonder Woman either. Jason? Tim Petropolis. <laughs> Correct. Wow. That's like a third grade. Come day. on already, anyway, last DK one. Metcalf, Paul Richardson, uh, his rookie season, he was supposed to be impactful. Deep field guy. He ended up putting up 29 receptions for 271 yards and one touchdown. Is that it? Are we done? Yeah. We got them all. Those are all the the rookies that we think are fantasy viable this season. Of course, you know one. Well, rookie. not all. So yeah, you know the most likely to be fantasy viable uh, with the most draft capital. Um, but if you want to learn about some more rookies, we have Thor Nystrom on the line. Um, he is joining us on the Real Recognize Real po- uh, Hotline. Remember, the Real Recognize Real Hotline is us telling you who to go and listen to in this industry full of people who are just parrots. Uh, talking to each other and if you're listening to this and you're in the industry and you're getting angry it's because yes i'm talking about you um but i'm not talking about thor nystrom uh he is one of the realists and we only bring you the realist here so let's get right into it now 
We are here on the Real Recognize Real Hotline with a very special guest, Mr. Thor Nystrom. Thor is the lead college football and NFL draft writer for Roto World and was recently named Fantasy Sports Writers Association College Sports Writer of the Year for 2018. Yeah, we got ourselves a big fish here. Uh, Thor, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. The first question I got to ask you, man. Winning all these awards, very cool, but not as cool as the name Thor. Is that like your real name? Or did your parents bless you forever? Like, we're going to name this kid Thor. <laughs> yeah, it is my real name. Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, earlier in my life, I, you know, no one really knew what to make of it kind of a thing. And then the Thor movies came out. It sort of changed the game for me. <laughs> <laughs> They uh, they set you up for greatness, that's for sure. And speaking of greatness, um, we mentioned 2018 College Football Writer of the Year. So you watched a lot of college football last year, to say the least. Uh, so in fantasy football, rookies always make an impact, and it's particularly rookie running backs. And the first rookie running back that came off the board this year was Josh Jacobs. And although he seems to be the most talented of the bunch, he didn't get a full workload. He was splitting the load with not only one other back in Alabama, but two other backs at Alabama. So the question for us is, do you think Josh Jacobs has what it takes to be the workhorse every down back at the NFL level based on what you saw in college? Uh, I think the jury remains out on that. Honest, to, to me, I would, I would continue to use him similarly to the way that Nick Saban used him at Alabama. I, I would prefer... Uh, the Jacobs is sort of complemented with um, an early down grinder. And I, Damian Harris, I, I suppose, would have been the analog for that at Alabama. Um, you know, but they, the way that they did it was sort of like a, a rotation thing, depending on the series, you know, especially, you know, later on during Jacobs uh, junior year last year. Um, but I would prefer that a different guy handled some of that early down work because what Jacob, his special sauce is on passing downs. He's going to be, we know that he's going to be a very good passing down back very natural receiver he's awesome as a pass blocker um but you know he was never equal to damian harris just in terms of running the ball ever you know i mean you can look at any of the stats you can look at the, the film i mean you, you can look at whatever you want you know per per touch per run jacobs is consistently lower than harris so i would prefer to save jacobs for the passing downs you know which which is his special sauce anyways and that would also um you know sort of uh, allow for the opportunity of him to play longer um you know cut, sort of cut down the usage to cut down the you know the chances that he could get injured he's jacobs has struggled through some injuries you know specifically like the sophomore year he had a he had a torn hamstring and like a fractured fibula and stuff like that and he's he's a guy who's been dinged up you know over the, the course of you know his playing time you know he's stretching back into into high school and so if yeah if, if it was if it was me um like i said i i would give some of those early down carries to somebody else and just let jake focus on what he's best at i i think the raiders are probably going to stretch his role a bit beyond where i would be comfortable with um but that's my take on it a uh, very interesting take there because a lot of people thought jacobs was the number one back in this class it sounds like you're a little bit um less on board with that one talking about your number one though yeah yeah um yeah i mean i listen i had david montgomery as rb1 um the whole season and through through the draft and i i'm staying on that take i um you know i if, if i had to bet you know I, I guess i would get odds but i i would bet that david montgomery has a better career um than than josh jacobs i, I disagreed with the decision to take josh jacobs in the first round at 
24 or wherever he went. And uh, to be honest, the NFL agrees with me because everyone knew in the media that Mike Mayock, I mean, that was the rumor that he was going to take Josh Jacobs at 24. I heard it for months. The Raiders are going to take him at 24. The Raiders are going to take him at 24. And I refused to mock Josh Jacobs to the Raiders at 24 because I respected Mike Mayock too much. You know, this, this guy is too smart to allow a piece of information like that to leak out. And, uh, it turns out he took him at 24, like everyone, like everyone had said. And what that should tell people out there is if everyone in the media knew that Josh Jacobs was going to be taking 24, everyone in the NFL most certainly did. And nobody had any interest whatsoever in hopping the Raiders for Jacobs at 24. So, I mean, I, I think that, I think that Mayock and Gruden were a bit out on an island with their, you know, the, their sort of value range of Josh Jacobs. And I think the public perception of it, I, I think Mike Mayock, in, in part, helped to inform uh, the, the public perception around Josh Jacobs and sort of like the steam he ended up getting leading up to the draft. Because if, if you guys will recall, uh, you know, you go back to, to January, Alabama has the playoff run, and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, basically, Jacob, Jacobs, his profile had started to, to raise, you know, during the, the beginning part of his junior year, and he got up to the point where he was like a, you know, consensus top three back or whatever. But, you know, he was still considered, I, th- I think, probably a middle, a second-round type guy, which is where I ended up, you know, for, for me, none of this changed. I, I ended up having him as a mid-second-rounder, and, and at the time I would have considered him a mid-second-rounder. But, um, he, you know, Jacobs, then he goes to the playoff or whatever. They play in the title game, and then shortly after the title game, NFL. I, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah mocked Josh Jacobs number four overall. And that's when the public at large, like, really just started jumping in like you know i discovered jacobs first i discovered jacobs first and everyone started like shooting him up their boards or whatever well here's my theory i think what happened is mike mayock you know who's obviously his friends with the nfl.com guys had sort of loose lips about his affinity for josh jacobs and how good josh jacobs is etc that led to i think him getting mocked higher and him getting ranked higher by some of those nfl.com guys in january and, you know, the, the industry that I'm in, there's a lot of group think. You know, there's a lot of sort of follow the leader. And Daniel Jeremiah is one of the three or four or five guys around the country that informs that. And so I think, you know, when he has some, he puts somebody up like that in late January, you know, in, in, in the top five of running back, everyone just sort of rushes in behind him. And all of a sudden this player that, you know, again, to me, he objectively was a, a mid-second round type. You know, a lot of guys were with me at the time, you know, when, when this stuff was happening and then you know he mocks him in the top five and there was just a free-for-all with, with Jacobs and and the profile shot up but again you know to go back to what I said before the Raiders were at 24 that entire time and it leaks out there just in mass that they're going to take him at 24 and nobody else in the NFL thought he should go above 24 so I mean it kind of is what it is and you know Montgomery what I love about Montgomery is I, I think he's the only guy in this class where um, I can cleanly project him to be an every down back. I compare him to uh, Kareem Hunt with a heart of gold. Ooh. And so for, for fantasy, and, and I know I'm out on an island with this. I don't really care, though. I would prefer we like him here Montgomery too. to Josh Jacobs. In fact, in, in one of my – the only dynasty league that I'm in that's had a rookie draft so far – um, I, I, I got Montgomery. I, I didn't have to, I wasn't put to that decision because Jacobs, you know, got, a, he went like one or two or something. Um, but, you know, I got, I got Montgomery at six. He was, he's the guy I would have taken anyway. So. Yeah. I lo- I love Montgomery. If you could just like, what is it exactly that gives you that Kareem Hunt feeling about him? Because he's got a great opportunity in Chicago 
and he's going to get work. And if he has that capability, running backs don't wait. They're productive right in their rookie years. We've seen top rookie running backs before. What about him stands out to you that made him the number one guy? Uh, so we can know that we'll be going into our fantasy drafts. Yeah, well, specifically to your first, the first part of that question about the, the comp, I can't necessarily take credit for it because I'm not the first person to put it out there. The first person to put it out there was actually the head coach of both of them in college, Matt Campbell, mm. the, the current Iowa State coach who came from Toledo. Campbell was the guy who discovered Kareem Hunt and, of course, developed him. Then Campbell went to Iowa State. Campbell had been recruiting David Montgomery. And in, in high school, David Montgomery got overlooked by everyone because he was like a he was like a you know a five ten, two hundred and ten pound dual threat quarterback who just high school kids just couldn't tackle him. And so he was just running everywhere, you know, and whatnot, you know, uh, galloping into the end zone and what have you. But, you know, it was hard, you know, in, in terms of projecting him, you know, into college. I think that's why he got he got overlooked or whatever. And but Campbell had discovered him and they weren't sure if they were going to have room for, for Montgomery at Toledo. Campbell gets the Iowa State job, and his roster, you know, it's funny because Iowa State's in the Power Five and, and Toledo's in the Group of Five, but the Iowa State roster was considerably worse. And so he definitely had roster room for Montgomery at Iowa State, pulled, you know, pulled the trigger on the, on the scholarship offer, and then Montgomery went there, and Campbell was saying almost from the jump, this kid is a dead ringer for Kareem Hunt, and that's – that was when it was, was a compliment, you know, to, to, to sort of say that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of similar I, – I agree with him, you know, and I, I agreed with him then, you know, and I've gotten to see Montgomery now, you know, the last three years or whatever. Um, there's a lot of similarities to their game. Like Kareem Hunt, Montgomery, the, the big knock on him is that he lacks foot speed, you know, straight line speed or whatever. Hunt, I believe, tested – I think his final uh, – like his best 40 showing the pre-draft process was like a – Four six three or something. Um, Montgomery got down into the high four fives at his at his pro day. Um, similarly, Montgomery, you know, it's like his his you know his sort of athleticism is 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 a tad below average. You know, if you're just sort of like you know looking at Spark or looking at you know Raz and stuff like that, his speed score is, is a tick below um, average as well. So that's what gives people pause. What, what I've tried to um, sort of hammer down during the pre-draft process and then afterwards is that's all fine and dandy. Obviously, you know, the testing numbers, they don't lie. You know, it, it, you know, it is what it is. But Indianapolis at the Combine, they, they don't yet have a test to measure what is the most important trait for a running back, which is how difficult is it to get you down on the field? How difficult is it, you know, to tackle you, to sweep your feet out, you know, from under you or whatever? If they had that test, David Montgomery would have tested, I mean, he would have tested through the roof and that him and given him and Devin motor Singletary would have been the top two by far in this class of how hard is it to tackle you? They don't have that test. And so guys like that continue to get underdrafted because these NFL teams just sort of, you know, look at the, their surface level testing numbers. And then maybe with Montgomery, they're watching the tape and stuff and they see that his stats aren't very good. Well, David Montgomery was playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in all of the nation, not just in the power five, but out of all 130 teams over the past couple of years, Iowa state's offensive line was, was, you know, near the bottom in absolute drags or whatever. And so Montgomery was confronted by guys behind the line almost every single time he touched the ball, you know, and he was just fighting guys off and like all this kind of stuff. If you, if you like actually break down his stats and like, you know, 
you know, plus them into certain categories and stuff like that. Like his, his yards per carry, you know, just the surface level numbers, not impressive at all. But if you look deeper into it, it gets super duper impressive because his average yards uh, before contact in college, it was something like, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so so forgive me for, for sort of ballparking this, but it was something like 1.1 or 1.2. Mm. His, his yards average after contact in college was like three times more. That's where he got the, re- you know, it was like 3.5 or, or some, something like that. The disparity between that, you will rarely, rarely, rarely ever see that. I mean, it's it's one of those things in a statistical profile that, that'll make you say, wow, I, I wasn't necessarily surprised because that's just been the story with David Montgomery. And like you guys said, you know, I, I cover college football. I don't cover the NFL. You know, every every Saturday from 11 a.m. Central Time, which is when the first kicks go, all the way through until the very end when Hawaii is playing Louisiana Tech or, you know, Utah State or BYU or whoever they got, you know, and they're on the stadium app or whatever. I'm watching all the way through, you know, six screens up until then. And so I, I got to watch a lot of David Montgomery in college and, you know, what he did is just so impressive. J- Josh Jacobs, he was surrounded by all this awesome talent. And Josh Jacobs is a good back, don't get me wrong. But, you know, David Montgomery didn't have any, uh, you know, didn't have any help or whatever. He was having to throw people off him and stuff like that. And these other, you know, Big 12 teams that were more talented, they found that they ha- they needed SWAT teams to tackle this kid. I- I- I'm very impressed with him, and I'm bullish on his NFL future for sure. You know, I heard you uh, mention another running back, uh, Devin Motor Singletary out of Florida Atlantic, he doesn't have the flashy school that some of these other running backs have, but he was absolutely a beast rushing-wise. He didn't really flash any type of receiving game, but it seems like his he fits well in Buffalo in the cold weather, ground-and-pound type offense. How do you like the fit there for Devin Singletary? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, you guys will be able to speak better to what the situation is, you know, in the short term or whatever, but just as far as, as, as Motor Singletary as player, tremendous pick you know he he was a guy that i knew was going to get underdrafted you know like like montgomery it's it's because his measurables are poor and singletary's are even worse you know he's he's a small kid he's, he's short he's slight um you know black high-end speed and his overall athletic profile is, is pretty poor you know you just like look at it like that but again just like montgomery he is very very difficult to tackle montgomery does it more with uh contact balance he's got a little bit of power he's got a little bit of shake like with montgomery it's just like all those things sort of uh combine singletary is more like i i consider him kind of like uh he's like a chicken in the coop you know he's someone who's even when you're right next to him it's very difficult to get your hands on him and you you know, you'll see times, you know, if you're looking like there's his FAU tape or whatever, where he'd be penned in. There'd be like four or five defenders around him or whatever. And then all of a sudden, somehow he squirts out of it. Um, his footwork is absolutely insane. I mean, his, you know, they, they, they test for, you know, short area quickness. They test for, you know, speed through the, you know, the, the 40 and the, the 10 yard, you know, trip, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But they don't test for like foot speed and stuff like that. And that's where Singletary gets you. Like even, you know, even even on times when the play would be over, a lot of times Singletary would still be on his feet. Like the only way that they, you know, those those kids down in Conference USA could get, you know, the play to be done was sort of just sort of like herd him and shepherd him towards the sideline and basically cut off all escape routes or whatever. And then eventually Singletary would just sort of like step out of bounds. But yeah, just in terms of like, you know, agility, um, short area quickness, uh, he's very patient. Um, and he's a better receiver, I, I think, than people are giving him credit for. Um, you know, and I, I think in 2017, again, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but you know, I, I think in 2017 that stuff was better. But you know, before this past year, and 
unfortunately for Singletary in 2017, you know, he had, they, they had Kendall Bryles. So he had one of the game's best offensive coordinators. Bryles was there because of the scandal of Baylor. Basically, you know, he, he, Kendall Bryles was sort of exiled, but he's, he, he's one of the best offensive coordinators in the game. So 2017, that's when, when Motor really, really went nuts. This past season, uh, Kendall Bryles had gone to Houston, and so Lane Kiffin, he hired Charlie Weiss's 25-year-old son to be offensive coordinator, and it did not go very well uh, schematically. Um, it, it, you know, the, 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 the creativity, the imagination, stuff like that, it, it was no longer there. Um, and, and so you, you saw it, it wasn't that, that Singletary struggled or that he played down at all. It's just that the, um, the creative usage of his skill set um, had all of a sudden, you know, sort of left Polka Raton or whatever. So um, I, I still think that that aspect of his game is there. Um, and he, like I said, he's another kid that I'm bullish on in the NFL. I'm going to switch the topic over to wide receivers. And there's no team uh, to focus on more than the Cardinals, who drafted Butler, Isabella, and Johnson. Uh, Thor, my man, I'm with you on the Hakeem Butler train. I saw that you ranked him number one, and I was excited about it. Uh, I agreed with you there, but... Teams didn't necessarily agree with that. Uh, he ended up dropping to the fourth round. How do you see these three players? Do you think their talents suit each other? Uh, Keyshawn Johnson has a little less draft capital, but Butler and Isabella, do you see their talents complementing each other? And who do you think has the higher ceiling in the NFL? I really do. Yeah, I thought I thought what Arizona. I, I disagreed with the decision to, in my opinion, overdraft Kyler Murray and then sort of sell low on Josh Rosen. But outside of that, you know, that sort of one-two stuff. Because basically, what they they decided to do was trade. You know, whether you look at it as Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa, um, you know, you know, and Josh Rosen for Kyler Murray and Andy Isabella is is, is, is you know is, is sort of the way that 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 trade turned out. But that's outside a, yeah, that's of that, interesting below way to look that, at that, they they killed it with every single pick. And with regards to the receivers, you know, what you're talking about, I, yeah, they complement each other great. You know, I mean, like, if you think about it like a basketball team, Andy Isabella would be sort of your point guard. Johnson, I guess, would be sort of like your, your small forward type guy. And then Hakeem, well, he's the center, right? I mean, you know, Hakeem, Hakeem comes into the NFL with, you know, one of the biggest uh, catch radiuses that we've ever seen. And, you know, when, when you guys start to see this guy just leap out of the gym because he, he didn't test as, as good of a jumper as you'll see on the field. I mean, he gets up there. Um, you know, so you put all that stuff together. You know, one of one of the great catch radiuses you know, that, that we've ever seen, the catch radius of an Indian god is, you know, how I, I like to put it. So they, they, they complement each other very well. And I don't think, you know, Cliff even acknowledged this after the draft. He did not intend to take three receivers you know i mean that that wasn't a part of their thought process or whatever um you know they wanted isabella of course but they they didn't think there was any chance in hell that hakeem butler was going to be there with the first pick in the fourth round you know cliff cliff didn't think there was any chance of that i certainly didn't think there was any chance of that somehow he got down there and arizona was also very high on uh you know Keyshawn johnson you know i i, I think cliff said that they had they either had a second round grade on him or a third round grade. I I, I forget. I, I read the quotes, but I forget. But anyway, they had a much higher grade on on Keyshawn Johnson than than obviously the rest of the NFL did. So the the, the cool thing for for Arizona, you know, with those guys, the, I, what I like what they did is, you know, they they sort of deviated off of what their path was going to be. You know, I, I think in the, the pre draft process, I I hate when teams get myopic in strategy. I, I thought the Vikings did this in round three where I think heading into the draft, they decided 
we want Alexander Madison in round three. We know where we have a decent idea that some team is going to take him in round four. I had a round four grade on Madison. I think the Vikings assumed that, you know, another team that would be high on him would put him, you know, have a round four grade on him. So I think the Vikings thought, well, we need a bunch of like late day three picks. You know, we, we need more than we got. We want to fortify like the, you know, the depth of this sort of sneakily aging roster or whatever. And so they decided on the strategy of just, like we'll trade down five times or whatever it is. We'll pick a bunch of late day three picks and then we'll get to the last pick in the third round. Then we'll take Alexander Madison. And, you know, to their credit, they executed that strategy. Everything worked out and they did really good with it with the, you know, late day three picks that they picked up. My issue with that though is they got myopic where, you know, they, they just zeroed in on this one guy and, and the plan worked out to perfection, stuff like that. But Hakeem Butler, no one thought he was going to be there, right? Hakeem Butler was one. Julian Love was another one. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Amani Hooker. Like, there was four or five guys that no one could have assumed would have been there at the end of the at the end of day two or whatever. And I think the Vikings just sort of zeroed in on him and, and sort of forgotten about some of these other possibilities. And what I liked about what Arizona did is they remain fluid throughout, you know, and, and, and you, you know, you see this, you know, I did my draft rankings and stuff that had a lot to do with, it, not not the, the total amount of talent that you acquired, but how did you do in terms of value in the slots that you were picking in? And Arizona finished very very high in in my rankings. You know they they were fourth in my rankings just in terms of the value they got out of their their slots. Even though I was lower on Kyler than most anyone out there, so I you know they 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 took a big penalty in my system for that. But the rest of their picks were so good that. You know, even then they, they, they finished in the top five. So yeah, I, I think they all complement each other very well. Um, I think, you know, if, if you guys are play PPR leagues, I think, uh, Andy Isabella is a guy you ought to be targeting. Um, he's, he's going to see the ball quite a bit. And then Hakeem Butler, he was the number one downfield guy in college football last year. Um, by any stat, you know, you look at the PFF stats, you just look at like the, the, the sort of aggregate counting numbers, like however you want to look at it, Hakeem Butler was the best deep ball guy in in, in college last year. And to sort of brush on a, another, you know, sort of question that you had embedded in there about, you know, why was the NFL lower on him, you know, than 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 me or you know than Cliff or you know so than than some other guys, it's because Hakeem Butler he the negatives in his profile are. The, they just happen to be the things that really, really freak the NFL out because they're things that typically in, in other evaluations hint at bust. So specifically that would be the, the drop rate. You know, Hakeem was at like 16 and a half percent last year, which is obviously quite, quite, quite poor. So that, that's number one. Number two is late breakout age. You know, Hakeem, his, his first season as wide receiver one was last year. So that, that's another mark on him. And then most of the, um, you know, a lot of the bust that we've seen in receivers coming to the NFL the past few years, you know, they've, they've been the bigger guys. You know, the NFL is going more speed and space. And so, you know, some of the, the bigger receivers, they, they were still getting drafted higher. And, you know, as, as, you know, the game has gone the other way. We've, we've seen some of those guys bust. So, you know, Hakeem came in, his evaluation, it, it had these sort of three scarlet letters. And I, I think, you know, a lot of organizations at that point, they just disconnected critical faculty. And they're like, all right, Hakeem, you know, we don't want Hakeem. You know, he's got got all these different things or whatever but there are contextual reasons to explain every single one and i I think that's what the teams missed on him number one the drop rate well this explains both the drop rate and the late breakout age is hakeem had a very weird high school career that's not like you know almost any other prospects you know heading in or whatever he started out in baltimore he grew up in poverty single parent home his mom died and so Hakeem, to have a place to live, had to move to Texas. He moved in with the Harrison twins, the family of the Harrison twins, the, the Harrison twins that went on to play in Kentucky and then and then in the NBA. 
well, Texas football decided to, Texas high school football decided to suspend Hakeem for half of his junior year because they said he was he was transferring for for athletic purposes, you know, to try to increase his profile or whatever. And so Hakeem actually only ended up playing thirteen games over his last two thirteen games total over his last two years of high school. He got overlooked in the recruiting process. He also didn't get developed very well because of the way the fragmented way that just you know his high school life went or whatever. And so. Iowa State needed those first couple years to to build him up, you know, teach him how to you know play receiver, you know, uh, you know, make his body stronger and stuff like that. And then you know his career just so happened to mostly coincide with with someone who you know Iowa State fans consider to be, if not the best, you know, receiver in Iowa State history. And one of them, NFL fans are going to laugh, but Alan Lazard, you know, a guy who was awesome at Iowa State from the jump. And so Hakeem, when he was finally ready to contribute. He was wide receiver, too, to Lazard in 2017. But if you look at their rate stats, it's clear. Hakeem is just so much better. It's just that they were playing Lazard in the slot, and because of that awful offensive line that I, I referred to earlier, you know, with regards to David Montgomery and the fact that they also had mediocre quarterbacks, what Iowa State would do, it's this kind of vanilla offense. It's not, you know, like the, the, the air raid offenses that people typically associate with, like, you know, big call teams or whatever. They typically put their best receiver in the slot because they're trying to take free yards. You know, so, so they were, you know, they, they, Montgomery would grind out his yards because even with the terrible offensive line, it was really difficult to, you know, to get him down in the backfield. And then with these, you know, with Lazard and then later with Butler, they just sort of throw, you know, just take the free yards that they could get over the middle, you know, with the, you know, and, and with the slot guys or whatever. So then Lazard leaves, and then all of a sudden, Hakeem was wide receiver one. Well, Hakeem got to play plenty on the outside in 2017, you know, all around the formation and stuff. In 2018, you know, he did some of that still as well. He got to play more in the slot as well. We've seen Hakeem all over the place, you know, that, that stuff that I just explained, that, that explains the late breakout age. As far as the, the drop rate, a lot of the drops that he had were because he has a bigger catch radius than other people, number one, and number two, because he had to do everything on that team. They did not have a number two receiver, much less a number three receiver. They didn't have any other receiver. It was the David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler show. That's all they had. And so, like, Butler had to do everything, and he got, you would see him get underthrown by 20 yards, you know, when he just singed someone downfield. So it's just a lollipop for a touchdown. The quarterback, you know, the, the ball lands at the 20 yard line or whatever. You, you, you'd see stuff like that. And so, Hakeem, you know, Warrior, you know, I mean, he, he tried to do everything for his team. He was fighting for all those balls. And so, the way I try to recontextualize it for people is if you go back to the 80s, you know, in baseball, where, you know, everyone that knew baseball would say, you know, Ozzie Smith is the best defensive shortstop in baseball. But, you know, people, you know, just regular sort of baseball fans would look at the defensive stats and they'd say, no, he's actually the worst because he, he had 25 errors last year. And then the person that knows baseball would say, well, yeah, it's because he's getting to all these balls that no other shortstop would even take one step towards. And they're counting him on, on errors with these plays where he's, you know, he's, he could be preventing a double or whatever by keeping the ball in the infield or whatever, but he, he couldn't make the fabulous play. And so they'd, they'd mark him with an error. That's a part of it with, with Hawking. The other part of it, you know, going back to the raw thing, it's just like he's not – He's not yet able to steal sort of those um, those split seconds as the ball is sort of you know uh, descending or whatever, or he's you know in, in, in terms of like giving the, the the quarterback you know some of those macro or sorry micro type throwing uh, windows or whatever. Um, he's going to get better at that stuff, you know. I mean, he's you know like I said, he, he was just a receiver one for for one season or whatever. So I, I think that there those are the contextual reasons there. Um, and 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 again, you know, going back to the downfield, this is why I so just vehemently disagreed with the NFL's um, evaluation of him um, as a whole because 
the idea was that he's this boomer bus guy that, um, you know, sure, you know, he's, he's this enormous guy and he's six, five to 25 or whatever. And he's got, you know, an almost 90th percentile athleticism. We get that, you know, he's got these really, really long arms, all this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, they would go back, you know, to the, to the, to the drop rate and all, all that kind of stuff. But what I would say is despite the drop rate, despite the 16 and percent drop rate, he was still the number one downfield receiver in college football by any metric, you know, PFL, anything you, you look at, he was the number one. So despite the drop rate that that's with the drop rate baked in there, that's also with him playing with a noodle arm, true freshman quarterback that Iowa state had and with no offensive line in an offense that was vanilla. This wasn't like a Texas tech offense. This wasn't, you know, one of these offenses where they were always bombing the ball downfield. So I, I just think that the NFL missed on him because they didn't dig enough into his, his profile, basically. Let me ask you about a team that was a little less vanilla. Uh, and so the Skins drafted a quarterback and a wide receiver similar, similarly to the Cardinals. I know you are uh, coined the phrase uh, better Jameis to describe Dwayne Haskins. How do you see his professional career coming together? And do you buy into the... Uh, college to NFL jump connection with him and McLaurin. Do you see anything there, or do you think it's just going to be just like uh, anything? Yeah, I, I like Haskins a lot. I, I ranked Haskins over over Kyler Murray, um, and it's because he's, he's he's at this point he's way ahead of Kyler as a pure thrower. Yeah, I mean you 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 look at you know their their stats broken down by like the game charters or whatever. Haskins is more accurate. It's almost every sector of the field, you know, specifically when we get a little bit down there, you know, the, the intermediate and then into the deep area. He was also an absolute killer, uh, 20 yards or more downfield, by far the best, you know, quarterback in terms of, I think, I think he had like a 15 to 1 TDI and T ratio of throws, you know, that traveled 20 yards or more downfield, uh, last season. And then the other thing is like, um, you know, that, that there's things in there that would suggest that, that Haskins is elevating his supporting cast, whereas there, there are things if you look, way deep in the numbers that could suggest that, that Kyler's supporting cast was helping him. And one of those stats is throws that required adjustments by the receivers. Uh, Haskins was easily number one in the class in terms of having the fewest. You know, he, he had, it was like 1.1% uh, of his throws required one of his receivers to make any sort of adjustment whatsoever. Kyler Murray was near the bottom of the top 10 quarterbacks in this class, in, 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 you know, in that percentage. And, you know, what, what I was trying to tell the people when, you know, when I was arguing that I, I, I didn't think that he was worthy of, that Kyler was in this, you know, he's in this fabulous system. He was playing behind, you know, there's an offensive line, you know, that was full of, you know, NFL prospects. We, we saw, I think, three at least went on, you know, a, a couple weekends ago and a couple more going to, you know, heading into the future. He also got to work with, you know, obviously Hollywood Brown, everyone knows. Next year, CUM is going to be a first-round pick. Uh, some people like Grant Palpatera, the running backs there were great as well. And then you have, you know, arguably the best play caller in all of football in Lincoln Riley, you know, even NFL at any level. You know, I mean, if, if Lincoln Riley wanted to be an NFL head coach right now, he would. I mean, the Cardinals would not have taken uh, Cliff Kingsbury above, above Lincoln Riley. So, um, you know, I, I, I think for, you know, all those, all those reasons, I, I, it created some doubt for me with regards to Kyler. I mean, there's also the, the thing of him, you know, that never having existed in the NFL before, you know, a, a player specifically of, of that type. Whereas Haskins, uh, you know, I just saw him rip off so many, so many different 
good Big Ten teams. And it's, you know, I think for some people, they thought he just sort of came out of nowhere or whatever. That's not the way it went down. I mean, he, he was one of the top quarterback recruits in the nation when he was coming out of that. He, he, he sort of you know, nearish to, to where Hakeem was before Hakeem moved in, you know, in, in, in the Maryland area. And Dwayne Haskins wanted to stay home and play for the Terrapins. And there was sort of an unfortunate, uh, you know, issue when, when, when he was, you know, moving into the, the signing period that season where Maryland had fired Randy Edsel, who was the, the head coach you know, that, that Haskins had sort of committed to, but who Haskins really committed to was Mike Loxley, who they had promoted to interim coach. Haskins wanted Maryland to name Mike Loxley the permanent head coach. They went a different direction. They, they, they hired DJ Durkin. and that turned into a nightmare and a scandal, you know, or whatever. So Haskins flipped at the last minute. He didn't want to play for DJ Durkin, which is a good choice. Flips to Ohio State, and, and he knew he was going to have to wait his turn, you know, and so he did. You know, he waited behind, you know, Cardale and JT Barrett and stuff like that. And then, you know, he came out this year, and he was ready to go. I mean, he was, he was one of the best players in college football right from the jump. Um, and I, I just – I really loved his arm talent. And the other thing I'll say is – it picked a lot for, you know, not being mobile, right? You know, and you know, like I said before, the NFL is moving to a, a speed and space game. So I so I get some of that stuff. And my joke about Haskins is he runs like the, the field is made of pudding. So I, I, I get all that stuff. But, you know, one other point that I would push back on just a bit with folks is if you look at the, the accuracy rate and the damage that was done by all these quarterbacks outside of the pocket, um, you know, last year as a thrower, Dwayne Haskins was better than Kyler Murray. Dwayne Haskins was the best quarterback, just in terms of throwing, right? He was the the best throwing quarterback outside of the pocket in college football last year. Um, So, you know, he's a guy who has functional mobility. He's, you know, he's polished in terms of that. His understanding of the game is very advanced. He was getting mentored by NFL players in high school. I mean, he's, he's been bred for this moment. Um, I'm very bullish on him and I I understand why the NFL nitpicked him. I thought it was going to happen. Um, I, I didn't know it was going to happen to that degree, you know, where, where he would get funneled all the way down to, to Washington at 15. But, man, what, what a slam dunk for Washington, you know, to, 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 to get that prospect at a position in need, a guy that, you know, in, in my opinion, probably should have been a top six or top seven. I mean, he should have been the Giants pick is, is, is what it is. But, you know, the, the Giants, Mr. Gettleman decided to uh, – to fall in love with Daniel Jones and that, you know, sort of, you know, and then Miami of course was, was zeroing in on Josh Rosen at the time. And that just sort of filtered Haskins down the board and slam dunk pick for the Redskins even more so because you bring the kid back home. You know, it's, it's like the whole story went full circle where, you know, Maryland had, you know, they, they skewed uh, Mike Loxley. If they, if they just merely named him head coach, Dwayne Haskins would have stayed and stayed. Well, Maryland redid that mistake. They hired Mike Loxley from Alabama this offseason as their head coach. So, so they sort of redid that mistake. And then, you know, now now Dwayne Haskins is going home at, at long last. So I, I think it's a match made in heaven. Thor, thank you so much for coming on the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, Thor Nystrom is the lead college football and NFL draft writer for Roto World and was recently named the Fantasy Sports Writers Association College Sports Writer of the Year in 2018. And from listening to this, you should know exactly why. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Where could they find you on social media? Yeah, you guys can find me at Thorku on Twitter, T-H-O-R-K-U. Um, I drop all my links in there and stuff like that, so come and check me out. And then uh, if you want to see our work at Roto World, um, you know, we have all we have our draft hall rankings. We have I, I, I ranked out all the UDFA classes in the NFL, and then I also I, I did a I, – me and my, my, my colleague Hayden Winks, who's a, a real math whiz and a, and a Jedi in, in, in Excel, 
he created this model for me where we could judge uh, some of these draft value things that I, I think I referred to earlier in the conversation. And so I was able to combine uh, draft halls with UDFA classes and, and create up a, a, a hall, quote unquote, ranking that encapsulated everything. You know, how much talent you acquired against the draft equity that you use, you know, and the slots that you ran and everything. So I, I ranked all 32 teams. Uh, <laughs> the Raiders finished uh, 32nd. So all this weekend uh, on Twitter, my mentions were just flooded by, by Raiders fans, you know, with their pitchforks out, you know, stuff like that. So that that was kind of interesting, stuff like that. So you, you guys can check that out. Uh, a week from uh, tomorrow, well, I don't know when you, you know, when the listener out there is going to listen to this, but uh, on Wednesday, you know, a week from now or whatever, I'll be putting out my too early 2020 mock draft. Then a week after that, it'll be my too early uh, top 10 by positions for offense. And then the week after for defense. And then uh, early June, I believe it's slotted to go. It will be like my top 100 uh, sort of early big board for the 2020 season. So, look, Be on the lookout for all that stuff. He is one of the better follows on Twitter. We'll tell you that right now. If you need to get educated, that's the follow you have to, to follow right there. So, again, thank you so much for being on the Real Recognize Real po- uh, Hotline. Excuse me. Take it easy, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that was informative. That was intimidating. That was. <laughs> Do you know how you become fantasy? I mean, uh, college sports. What, what was it again? Writer of the year. Writer college the year. sports writer of the year. You know exactly like every person's high school, like what his mom did for what he had for lunch. <laughs> like th- you're not. That was some information right there. Use it wisely because. I'll tell you what. I was already high on David Montgomery. I'm even higher now. Remember that bet we made that one of those rookies might move into the first round? I might make a move into the first round after listening to that. Wow. <laughs> nah, That'd but, be a nah. little crazy, man. No, no, no. For real. Like, so they, please don't draft David Montgomery in the first round, people. In all, in all seriousness, is like, yo, that's something to think about. David Montgomery is... If, well, he's, if, going, he's going like a fourth, fifth round in drafts I've seen right now. Fourth, fifth round that's overall? Like, yeah, that's... It's about right. I, I, I wouldn't be opposed. I, I took Royce Freeman in the fourth round last year. Oh, Terrible. you know what? Before we, we sign off, not to. before we sign, we sign off, I was listening to your guys' podcast last week. And I said that I loved the the role of, ba- of Broncos running back. And you guys That's yell at me. Thing. What do you mean? You were wrong about Freeman. You're wilding because you said, I loved Cole because he was a slot receiver for the Jaguars. And but guess like, what? Yeah, the slot receiver Jason for the Jaguars did well. Was I, admit, wrong I was about wrong Cole. about Cole. Just like you were wrong no, about Freeman. No, but you guys yes. gave, but you made him an excuse. And you and Michael's like, yeah, yeah, you were right. You know, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Suck it is what I'm really Look, trying to say. The reason Freeman wasn't good is because he lost his job. The reason Cole wasn't good is because he lost his job. I can admit that. You can't. You think you made a good call. You didn't. Yeah. You... I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is so you use the excuse of I got the role correct. You yell at me when I do it. You do it in a different way. You're right? hypocritical. Tim doesn't No, it Jason a said way. I got the role correct, but I was wrong in general. You say I got the role correct, so I wasn't really wrong. Jason Jason did not say I will go back. I recorded it. I sent it to you. Jason's like, yeah, well, I really got it right then. If I said that, then I'm bugging. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's know. all I wanted to hear. Ladies and gentlemen, you I heard mean, it here Timmy's, first. The, the twins. is the worst memory. Jason, Jason may have seen, just so. admitted for the first time in his 22-year life that he might have been possibly wrong. First of all, 23. 23 years. <laughs> Second of all, only if what you said was true is true. So I'm not ready to admit it just yet. Yeah, Tim, shut up. <laughs>
<laughs> well, with that being said, Jason, where can they find you on social media? At Jason Petrop. Louder, because I don't know what's going on with that microphone. At Jason Petrop. There it is. Go ahead. At Mike underscore Petrop. You don't have to scream. Everyone needs to follow me. Stop. It hurts. <laughs> you can find you can find me at Tim Petrop on all social media outlets, but only frisky. if you're feeling real, real, real frisky. Um, at Brodo Fantasy on Twitter, if you have any type of situation where you're trying to reach us. Also, rankings coming out soon. Rankings coming out soon. Also, BrodoFantasy.com. Don't forget. Um, an opportunity for you guys. Jason, tell them about it. Oh, thanks, Tim. No problem. Yeah, we mentioned it last week. We're mentioning it again because it's a good piece. Bob Lung, at Bob underscore Lung on Twitter, uh, won Best Fantasy Football Publication 2018 FSWA Award. So the same group that gave Thor a award also gave Bob an award. We got for, award winners on the squad. Yeah, for this publication, The Consistency Guide. You can get it at BigGuyFantasySports.com. It, uh, it goes over... How consistent players were in fantasy football last year? Something that's very valuable to look at. One of the more one of the more valuable tools that I've discovered in the last three years are consistency charts, and he does it best. So check it out. And true values. What? Brodo, twenty percent off if you use the code Brodo. Use code Brodo, you'll get twenty percent off. Uh, we are gonna tweet out this link again if you want to see it. We've tweeted it out before. So you want to go to BigGuyFantasySports.com, buy the consistency guide. You get 20% off with code Brodo. We're, we're out here trying to help you win some leagues in multiple ways. That's right. So check that out. Also, BrodoFantasy.com. Is there a link on that? We should get it up there. Oh, yeah. we have. If you go to our website, uh, we have a nice little header up there where you can click on there it. There you go. And it sends you to Bob Lung's website. Bang, bang. That was sim- that's simple. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Also, bada bing, bada boom for us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's the off season, people, which means you're here. That means your squad is going to compete squad. for a championship, if not destroy everyone for championships. You're putting in the extra work. We're here to put in the work with you. The Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast. Peace out. Later. Peace.